Last Wednesday, we had a prayer vigil for persecuted Christians at St. Michael's Cathedral in Toronto. This Red Wednesday is celebrated every year. It will be commemorated in other churches around the world next Wednesday, November 24th. Last Sunday was World Day of the Poor, and this Sunday is the Feast of Christ the King. Then comes Thanksgiving in the United States, followed by Black Friday and then Cyber Monday. At the same time, we begin the season of Advent. And so today, I'm feeling confused and torn. I know that I am privileged. I'm not poor. I'm not persecuted. I have a lot to be thankful for. And still, on these days, I feel like I'm faking it, faking my own Christianity, faking it because I'm not doing enough. I may not be able to change the situation of so many people around the world, but I am called to be in solidarity with them. I just don't know what that means. And so I pray. I pray for them. I remember them. I celebrate that they are, even though not directly, in my life. This weekend, I will not be shopping. I'm going to be thankful for what I have and thankful that I have been given the opportunity to make a difference in the lives of some. I guess that is a way to celebrate that Christ is the King of the universe. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello, and welcome to an all-new Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. And with me is Jermaine, Jermaine Bagnall. Jermaine. Hello, hello. It's good to be back. Getting ready for uh, Black Friday and Cyber Monday? and Or are you more the uh, Thanksgiving? Just let's stay with Thanksgiving. I guess it's weird. Let's just for stay with Canada. Thanksgiving. And yeah, Canada, we're not uh, like our, I know, our brothers and it's sisters so to the South. <laughs> exactly. We, we did Thanksgiving five weeks ago, six weeks ago. Um, anyway, uh, but I think it's still... A time. I mean, it's always a good time to to be thankful and grateful. So, so I'm Absolutely. I'm always I'm always thankful that even though we had Thanksgiving in October, it's like we get to 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 think about that again in, at the end mm-hmm. of November. And and it's the beginning of Advent. So there's a lot of things happening. Uh, a lot uh, to be thankful for. Lots to be thankful for. Um, and uh, one of the things that we're thankful for is that you're here with two new books, Jermaine. So uh, give oh, us a little yes. teaser. A little teaser. What books? children's book well hey we are back with the kids books folks (laughs) i i didn't have one for you last time but we have a great one uh this time around dear pope francis oh very heartfelt very wonderful yes and and also another one uh, a biography of jerome lejeune uh which for those who don't know it this is a catholic physician slash scientist who made great leaps and bounds in the realm of genetics oh interesting okay that's uh mm-hmm. very okay interesting looking forward to that so that's going to be book ends with Jermaine in about five minutes just after our song and then Jermaine Jillian Cantor will be back um I know you're Yay. a big fan because you had the chance to 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 interview her husband David at uh, for your show working in faith yes um, yes absolutely a little plug lovely, for your show. lovely yes be sure to to check it out he's our our latest episode uh he's wonderful got a chance to to dive into his career as pro volleyball player his work uh as an environmental engineer it was wonderful and if folks want to see more of jillian also 
check out behold oh, she's hosting she's that sh- too oh that's right check out behold yes jillian is is hosting our show behold uh, also produced by Jermaine. You're busy. You're a busy guy, Jermaine. Anyway, so um, to be Jillian, like you. Jillian's going to be joining us today to tell us a little bit about what she learned from her kids this month. Always fun lessons from Jillian in about 15 minutes. And then um, in our second half hour, Jermaine, I'm actually going to be speaking to an author as well. Um, uh, Berta Byrne is a first time author. She just published her first novel called Encounters with the Sacred. And it's a beautiful coming of age story of a young girl growing up in an immigrant family in the 80s in Canada. Um, and it's, I think it's very common with immigrant families, but it's a story about how important faith is and about intergenerational connections. It's very well written. Um, and like I said, it's Berta's first novel. I love this. It's a double dose of books. For double the dose of books. Yeah. Time. So, so uh, I'm very excited to be speaking with Berta Byrne uh, about her book today. So that's in about 25 minutes in our second half hour. And then at the end of the show, we're going to be meeting a new artist, first time on the show, uh, a new singer songwriter. Her name is Katie Curtis, and Katie was born with muscular dystrophy, um, and she's used a wheelchair all her life. Still, um, she's she plays guitar. Music has been uh, with her all her life, and now she's uh, she creates her own music, her own independent music. But she's also hoping to start a career as a lyricist, uh, writing like writing lyrics for other performing artists. Uh, she's also a convert, uh, so she's come back to the faith. So we have lots to talk about with her. Um, that's uh, I'm excited, I'm excited to hear, very, yeah. Katie Curtis, some great things happening, yeah, exactly. So, that'll be uh, at the end of the show in about 40 minutes. And a reminder to all our listeners if you cannot listen to the show, you be sure to go to our website, slmedia.org, and there you can listen to the show. You can also subscribe, as Jermaine does, subscribe to the podcast anywhere you get your podcasts, and be sure to like and review, yes, be sure to like and review because that means that more people will get to hear uh, about the show. Um, so Jermaine, let's start with a song okay. here. Here is Katie Curtis with her single innocence.
That was Katie Curtis with Innocence. And we're going to be speaking with Katie Curtis in about 45 minutes. So I hope that you can stick around for that. And now it's time for Book Ends with Jermaine Bagnall, who's very excited to tell us about these books. Yes, I am. And it's good to be back. And I have two books, folks. They're, they actually are both, the, the thing that binds them is they're both child-centric. Okay. Uh, one is a children's book, children's letters to Pope Francis. Yep. One we're going to be leading off with is by Aude Dugast. Uh, it's Jerome Lejeune, A Man of Science and Conscience. It's a biography. And people are probably wondering, what's the connection with children? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Dr. Lejeune uh, was really all about helping children, but specifically children with Down syndrome. And during his lifetime, he was actually the person who made the great discovery uh, to know about that extra chromosome, the thing that causes um, oh, Down okay. syndrome. Wow. Yeah. And so it's really interesting to see this man of faith and man of science and how he's able to, to live that out. And not only did he discover that, he had a care and a love for, for these children. Because during his lifetime in France, you know, if a child was born with, uh, with Down syndrome, they were pushed to the side, oh. they were really outcast. And it's, it, it's, it's heartbreaking to see and understand, hear how they were treated during mm-hmm. this time period. And just to know that he had these developments to try to understand them. Because his, his initial idea was, he's like, oh, if this is medicine, perhaps there's a cure. Right. Uh, and it's, you know, there's no malice. There, it was coming from a good place. And then he realized, oh, this is, this is just what is. Mm-hmm. We need to love. We need to protect the, these children. And, and knowing he, with his discovery, you know, in the biography, we realized that now the prenatal care, people now want to abort children when they yes. see this. And yes, he is a, a big time pro-life advocate. You know, the, these children are to be loved. These are children with value, you know? And so he is really, we get to learn about his, his love for his patients, you know, mm-hmm. and just, th- I think that's the big con- uh, continuous theme that, uh, Ode de Gas really, uh, shines a light on is, is this man's continual love for all those around him and using how he uses gifts to, to really drive them. Uh, it's beautifully written. I'll be honest, there's times it's, it's just so smooth and flows so well that I forgot I was reading a biography. Like it, it's because it's so well researched. So I, I definitely think uh, folks should take a, a, a look at that and definitely give it a read. And a big factor for for getting to know about him is his beatification process as has really been pushed forward so take a take a look at odugas book there's so much to learn about this a brilliant and amazing man what's Cannot, the, uh sorry what's the uh, title just quickly what's the title of the book the, the title is jerome lejeune a man of science and conscience. Yeah. Okay. Go we'll put, we'll put that link on our Ignatius si- Press. Yeah, we'll put that link on our site so people can find it. Yeah. Yes. And uh, now we jump to the other side of things, and this is the children's book. Da-da-da-da. It is "Dear Pope Francis: The Pope Answers Letters from Children Around the World." It's such a sweet little book. 
the kids range, uh, their age range, you know, from five to like maybe 10. And they're just sweet little letters that were gathered from Jesuit uh, educational institutions around the world, and they compiled them, and they were uh, brought to Pope Francis. And just by the numbers, they received 259 letters from 26 countries, six continents written in 14 languages. And it was uh, Father An Antonio uh, Spadaro who yeah. brought them and sat and interviewed uh, Pope Francis about them. And Here's an example of, of one of the letters. It sees uh, twins from the Netherlands, age nine, Hans and, and Ludwig. I hope I pronounced it correctly. Yeah. Uh, Dear Pope Francis, you're not very young anymore and you have already done many things. What more do you want to do in your life to make the world more beautiful and fair? Greetings, Hans and Ludwig. Oh, that's so sweet. And he, and he replies, dear Hans and Ludwig, there are so many things I'd like to do. I would like to smile always, smile at God first of all, to thank him for all the good he does for people. I would like to thank God for his patience. Have you ever thought about how much patience God has? God is very patient. God waits and waits for us. I want to help the people who suffer. I would like to make sure that there are no more injustices, or at least that there are not so many of them. I want to help children get to know Jesus. I wish there was no longer any slaves in this world. There are still many slaves in the world, so many. I desire to do all of this, but I am old and I have very little thread left in my spool. So God will tell, Francis. Wow. And it's really interesting that, you know, these kids will have such deep questions like that. And then another child will ask, what makes you happy in your work as Pope? Yeah, just, you know? yeah. just simple. And in... The thing that I really like about this is, yes, it's 65 pages, but each, each full spread is a child asking a question and the Pope giving it an answer. So as a parent reading this to your kid, you could just read a letter a night and, you know, you could ask the kid, oh, what would you want to write? What a to, wonderful to idea. Pope Francis. Yeah. Yeah. It's just beautiful. Great book. It's published by Loyola Press. Mm -hmm. and. And, and it's just such a sweet, endearing book because within it, you have the actual letter the children wrote and, and the little picture that they draw along it. So oh, you, my gosh. For kids to be able to see that, it, there's a relation on how. Yeah, of course. They're like, oh, I can engage in the adult world uh, in my own way. Yeah. So it, there's just some, there's beauty and power in its simplicity. Yeah. So I, I, I highly recommend uh, both. That's, of them. that's wonderful. And, and like all the children's books you talk about, they're not just for children. Cause I think a lot of adults will get a lot, a lot of, a, a lot out of it. So that's dear Pope Francis, the Pope answers letters from children around the world, right. By Loyola press. And the first mm -hmm. book you spoke about is Jerome Lejeune, a man of science and conscience by Ode Dugast published by Ignatius. We're going to put all those links on our site. Uh, Jermaine, thank you so much. Uh, another <laughs> more books to add to my pile. Um, but uh, thank I, you so much. I love much. giving them. I love giving them. <laughs> All right. Well, good. Have a great beginning of Advent and we'll talk to you uh, soon. All right. Be well. Jermaine Bagnell, our book contributor. He's the producer of the Salt and Light production, Working in Faith. You can watch that at eselmedia.org and you can follow him at Jermaine Bagnell. Hi, this is Trevor Thompson and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour. Deacon Pedro, God bless you. I'm Deacon Pedro. If you missed any part of this program or to listen to any interview again, go to eselmedia.org slash podcast.
And now it's time for What I Learned from My Kids with Jillian Cantor. Jillian, welcome back to the program. Thank you for continuing to have me, even though sometimes my lessons get a little bit wonky. Oh, your lessons are great. We love them. And uh, we're looking (laughs) forward to know what you learned from your kids this month. Well, starts. this is pretty exciting, really. Um, Recently, I I attended an awards ceremony um, for one of my children. I don't want to brag or anything. I know. One of my sons recently won a pretty big award. Uh, and it was presented to him by his older brother, uh, who bestowed him with the title of biggest loser in the entire world. What? Imagine the excitement of that awards presentation. It was phenomenal. I mean, it was pretty informal. It was just at my house. But still, the fanfare um, and the bravado with which the presentation was made was outstanding. Now, and also imagine our excitement. We didn't even know he had entered any sort of competition. There was no local or regional level. It was just straight to the top. Henry was given the title of biggest loser in the entire world. Just when I couldn't get any prouder, Henry refuses to accept. He's so humble, he won't accept the award. And instead, he turns around and gives it to his brother. It was just... It's mind-blowing that he should be so humble that he can't receive this award, but instead wants to give someone else that. So it was just, my heart swells with pride. I'm just so proud. So proud. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm not really. It's terrible. Am I a terrible parent and are my children incredibly mean? <laughs> uh, but still, I'm going to pull something out of this and maybe it's a stretch. Please, because we're 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 all yeah. Please, we're all we're all confused. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, I I could be grasping at straws just to make myself feel better for what actually turned out to be a pretty big fight between two boys. But maybe this has something to do with the labels that we give ourselves and each other. Full disclosure: I don't think that my either of my sons are the biggest losers in the world. I don't think anyone is. That's not very nice. Um, But it is easy to feel that way about ourselves and maybe even others and to say terrible things about who we are, the decisions we make, the things we say. Um, And I hear my children sometimes berating themselves or each other. And it breaks my heart when you hear that, you overhear those moments of, oh, I'm so dumb or I shouldn't have done that or why I'm such an idiot. Those moments, they Mm -hmm. seem small, but it's heartbreaking that they have that opinion of themselves. And the thing I say to them when I hear that in that moment, like, don't say that about my son or don't say that about my daughter. That's not true. And it startles them a little bit because whether the insult was uh, self-directed or meant for a sibling, my claiming that person and giving them the title of my son or my daughter, it's that's something that's difficult to ignore. Uh, It knocks into them maybe the reminder that that person is exactly that, a real life person with people who love them and think dearly and highly of them. And it hurts to hear that person uh, being spoken poorly of or spoken down to. Mm-hmm. And we have to remember that it hurts God too. When I throw those labels upon myself, because um, I do it too. <laughs> I mean, I hear my kids do it and it makes me so sad and it shocks me, but I know that I do it myself. Um, I have to remember that God is wincing and saying, don't say that about my daughter. That's not the truth. 
so what labels then do I want to give myself as a daughter of God? Should I be tearing myself down? Do I dare to insult who God created me to be? Um, I, my, my, my sinfulness, of course, needs to be addressed and my heart needs to change and, and, and do some work. But God does not know me by my sinfulness. He knows me by my name. Um, and so my title is not the biggest loser in the world, not a big idiot, not a dummy, not whatever it is that I'm telling myself in that moment. Mm -hmm. My title is his daughter. My title is Jillian. My title is beloved, beloved child of God. So we have to be careful of those labels or awards that we bestow upon ourselves and others um, and just embrace the truth, the truth of who God made us to be, the truth of the title he has given us. Um, we need to claim that for ourselves. And when, when we hear others um, speaking down about themselves, berating themselves, we need to claim that for them too, so that they can be reminded of, of who God really made them to be. So, so I turned that award ceremony into something good, maybe. You did. And you've given us uh, good advice for that one, because we all have children that uh, give each other similar awards. Um, <laughs> and you made me oh, think, good. That's yeah. just fine. It's a good way instead of yelling at them to not say things like that. It's 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 good that you've turned it around. It it reminded me of how when Jesus is baptized, God is claims him. You are my beloved son, and that's what you've reminded me of. That you know, don't don't call don't call my daughter that. Don't call my son yeah. that. You're they're yeah. they're they're my beloved, and 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 you're right. That would startle them a little bit because they're not thinking about it that way because they probably really don't mean that their brother is the greatest loser. Um, <laughs> hopefully they don't mean it. <laughs> I hope, yeah. I'll double check, but I'm pretty sure it was just in the heat of the moment, I think. Yeah. Yes. Um, thank you, Jillian. That was, uh, that was good. That was inspiring. Um, <laughs> a, a lesson for ourselves as we berate our own ourselves, but mm -hmm. also a lesson for us as parents, as we kind of help our children navigate through that. Um, yeah remind remind reminder that we're all god's beloved thank mm -hmm. you very you're good welcome lesson. very good lesson <laughs> thank you to joseph and henry for that uh for that lesson for that award ceremony <laughs> yeah i'll congratulate them again on having that conversation it's good yeah tell them please all right and we'll see you we'll see you for christmas yes yes i'm excited yes so are we always good lessons for christmas from your kids all right thank you very much see you next month all right. Bye-bye. Jillian Cantor, always learning something from her kids. She's the wife of David and the mother of Joseph, Henry, Annie, Clara, Jane, and Leah. Coming up in our second half hour, a story of coming of age, faith, and intergenerational connections. And we meet singer-songwriter Katie Curtis. So stay tuned. Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour, Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. Encounters with the Sacred is Berta Burns' first novel. It's a brilliant work of historical fiction, a beautifully written story about a young girl growing up in an immigrant family in the 80s in Canada and attending Catholic school. At the same time, it tells the story of the repatriation of Slovenian refugees by the British after the Second World War. It is an engaging coming-of-age story that shows how important faith and intergenerational connections are. And to tell us more, I'm now joined by Berta Byrne. 
Berta. It's good to meet you. Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you, Deacon Prager. I'm so honored to be here. Um, so how did you come up with the idea for the novel? Uh, we need definitely need more than 10 minutes for that. Yes. <laughs> but um, essentially, I finished grade eight, and I had one of those really incredible teachers um, that, you know, you finish and you're like, wow, that was like something you could do a movie on. Um, so I had the seed planted and I went home and I said, I'm going to write a book about my grade eight experience. And of course, because I was 14 years old, that lasted about two days. And then I went and swimming and, you know, enjoyed my summer. Uh, and, but the idea never left me. Okay. And just to, so just to clarify, you were in grade eight a long time ago. It was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So the idea That's stayed right. there for many, 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 many years. Yeah, it really did. It really did. Um, yeah, it stayed there for a long time. And it's it's almost like when people talk about their vocation story and they say, you know, God was chasing me and, yep. you know, I just never, you know, never let, let, it, let me go. Um, so that's what this story was for me. It just wouldn't let me go. And um, I had obviously had a lot of maturing to do and learning in order to write a book of this scope. Um, but I was about 24 years old. I started teaching mm -hmm. and I went on a retreat with the students, a Salesian retreat. Yep. And at the retreat, someone said, oh, so what do you want to get out of this retreat? And I said, well, you know, I'm here to support the students, but I haven't gone to confession in a while. So I went to confession and it was a very, very unusual confession because I had never gone um, to a priest who could, I guess you could say, read the soul. Okay. Um, and so it was just unusual. And he was, you know, I, he was saying things that I thought, wow, this is incredible. And then at the end, he said, you know, God's calling you to write a book. And I said, and I said, yes, I know. I said, I know. I've known this for about 10 years. I said, can you tell me what it's supposed to be about? And he said, well, you have to pray about that. So I was highly disappointed because <laughs> I just wanted someone to tell me. Right. Um, because I always knew there was a piece missing. Right. You know, I knew it was supposed to be this grade eight story, this year, you know, coming of age story. Mm -hmm. But I knew there was some massive piece missing. Um, so I did what he said. He was absolutely right. I started to pray about it. <clears throat> and it wasn't until, oh, my gosh, maybe another 10 years wow. where... Um, my friend walked up to me and she said, here, you got to read this book. And it was Slovenia 1945, um, all about, it's called Slovenia 1945, Memories of Death and Survival After World War II. So this is like a history book. And okay. I've got two small kids. And the last history book I read was in <laughs> university. <laughs> and yep. I'm thinking, I don't, you know, I have no interest in reading another history book, you know, for, you know, maybe many, many years to come. So it literally sat there. And then again, I guess it was a prompting of the Holy Spirit. I picked it up mm -hmm. and I actually started to read it. Right. And I don't remember at what point, but it was like a lightning bolt went right. through my body. I don't know how else to do it. wasn't a light bulb moment. It was a lightning bolt moment. Yeah. And I just thought, Oh my gosh, this is it. This is, this is the missing piece. So that's the, that's the historical part of the novel. That's right. And I, I don't want to give, I, I mean, I don't want you to tell us the whole story, but yeah. can you maybe just tell us a little bit about that real history about the repatriation of Slovenian refugees. And, and maybe I should note that your background is Slovenian. I mean, you are. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, I've been I mean, these are stories like it was such a part of my life that 
that's, I mean, that's how ingrained it was in me that I, it never even occurred to me that this is something I'd write about. Okay. So you did know you did, this was some history that you did know. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Going to Slovenian school as a kid on Saturday mornings, okay. um, having family that went through this, having right. friends whose family went through this, growing up in a community where you heard these stories that I think I even say in the book at, at the bar at a banquet, you know, you could be getting an orange juice as a kid and you're hearing these Slovenian guys talking about right. what went on. So, yeah. So um, after 1945, after the war, um, it wasn't just Slovenians. I mean, it was like a mass migration in Europe of people leaving countries mm -hmm. where communism was coming into power. Mm -hmm. And so many of them had opposed these communist, um, you know, communist system that was coming and they had fought against it. And so really in order to um, be safe and in order not to be, you know, possibly killed, um, they fled their countries. Mm -hmm. So these home guards who were who were men who would actually defend literally the villages um, that were being attacked, they would defend them because there was really not much, not anyone else really there. It's 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 honestly, it's kind of hard to explain the whole thing. It's such a complex, it was such a right. complex time and so much going on, um, but they fled and the and it was home guards and it was civilians. And so they went into Austria and when they got to Austria, they were told that they could actually go back to Yugoslavia, but with the British behind them. Right. And that we're going to go back and you can fight this communist regime that's come in through Tito. Mm -hmm. And so they were really gung ho because what did they want? They wanted um, what the British had. You know, they wanted freedom. Yeah. Right. They didn't want to be oppressed. Um, so they were all ready to go. And rather than actually going into Yugoslavia with the British behind them to fight the communists, they were actually betrayed. Right. And yes. that's, and that's in chapter one. So it's not, you know, someone might think that's a, but that's actually chapter one. Yeah. And it's just them being sent back. Right. Um, and we know now, I mean, there's hundreds of mass Many of them were killed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and somehow that story is intertwined with Spella's story. That's right. Based, I guess on your grade eight experience. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So you the, mentioned the two stories. Sorry, and and again, I don't think this is a giveaway, but there's a there's a very influential character in the novel, which is the teacher. You mentioned that you also had a very influential teacher in grade eight. Mm -hmm. um, is this was this teacher a Slovenian teacher? No, no, no okay. he wasn't. To be honest, I don't even know what his background was. I, I don't know. But he inspired um, Yeah, he was he was like a mystery that way. But yeah, so it was just such an it was just yeah, somehow that all came together in the writing process. And yeah, interesting. Imagination. Interesting. How, how important do you think that family and faith is, especially for immigrant families? That's a great question. Um, I think it's crucial. I mean, looking back at my family, I mean, that's what I, that's what I was raised with. It was the faith. Mm -hmm. The faith is what, you know, got everybody through. Um, this story isn't in the book because a lot of it is not necessarily my family history. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, of the history of what was, what is, um, in that book, Slovenia 1945, but my grandmother, um, after the war, she was 
or just actually, I think it was still during the war. Um, my dad was a newborn. So it was definitely, yeah, it was 1943 mm -hmm. and she was holding my dad and all, all of a sudden kind of all hell broke loose and their village was all the people in their village, very small was taken and they were put into a home and they were going to light this house on fire and just burn everybody in it alive. Hmm. And so my grandmother is holding my dad and she's just waiting to die. They're waiting for the gas truck to come um, and to take these people out. And what happened was a German soldier actually came and stop the process. And that's why I learned the difference between like the SS and mm -hmm. German soldiers who weren't in support of what was really happening with Hitler and so forth. Um, but they stopped the whole process and saved, you know, all these people. So my dad always, you know, tells me the story and is like, you know, if that didn't happen, right? Like wow. you wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't be here today. Um, so anyhow, it, sorry, that's uh, <laughs> getting a little off topic. But my point is that it was their faith that kept them going in those moments, you know, mm -hmm. those, those moments of darkness. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it was definitely their faith that kept them going, you know, and my grandfather and on both sides. So I think, um, I think that faith was so important because when they came here, what's the first thing they did, they built churches, right? you know, and then the community would settle around the church. Mm -hmm. um, so that was just such an important hub of, uh, you know, the faith was the first thing that was central. And then little things came from out of it, like Slovenian school and um, banquets. And, you know, we'd have all these experiences. Yeah. And I know that's true for a lot of cultures. It you is. Know, yeah. And, 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 and family. And, and I love how yeah. there's all these connections. And, and of course, as a 13 year old, you know, in grade eight, Spella in the book, I mean, she won't, mm -hmm. she doesn't understand it, but she's figuring it out. And that's such a part that's of right. who she is. And I would love to, to, to read the sequel of Spella when she's in her thirties <laughs> and how she looks back, maybe at helping her own children grow up. Why is it called encounters with the sacred? Oh, that's another good question. Um, because yeah, I, again, it was that phrase came to me when I went to uh, an in-service as a teacher I was listening to Sister Claire Fitzgerald and she came to talk to all of us who were doing, I think it was part one religion and I'm listening to her and she said, teachers today don't know their role. She said, the role of this teacher is to give the students encounters with the sacred. And wow, that blew me away. As soon as I heard that phrase, it just never left me. And I just thought, you know what, when I finish this book, whatever this book is going to be, I just know that has to be the title. And really that's it is that, in every moment we can have an encounter with the sacred, you know, and that's why this book is full of really, really dark experiences where the character still has an encounter with yeah. God. Yes. And then really like simple moments, you know, where this girl in grade eight is going through her own kind of suffering yes. that is not as dark, but yet that but is also an encounter, encounter with the yes, sacred. It is. Yeah. So that's why I called it that in the end. Well, I'm glad you called it that, and I'm glad that you wrote it. Berta, we have to leave it there, but thank you so much for, I'm glad you finally got the book out of your system, um, <laughs> and that maybe there's more to come. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Berta Byrne is the author of Encounters with the Sacred. It's published by Justin Press. Here now is our featured Artist of the Week, Katie Curtis, with her single, When It Hurts the Most.
Katie Curtis was born with a kind of muscular dystrophy that should have killed her by age five. But her mom prayed incessantly, and her diagnosis changed. As a teenager, Katie received a guitar, which she learned to play and began writing songs. Her dream to become a professional musician began. In college, Katie became a Catholic, and now, as she creates her own music, she is working on making a career as a lyricist for other performing artists. To tell us more, I'm now joined by Katie Curtis. Katie, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. It's good to meet you. Yes, it's very nice to meet you. So tell me about, about getting that first guitar at age 14. Okay, so um, I, didn't, I didn't know that I'd be able to play guitar because I have muscular dystrophy. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of that, I have contractions contractures i don't even entirely know what it's called (laughs) basically my basically my arms and legs don't work right right and and um so i can't turn my hands completely upside down okay um and so i uh i just assumed that because i can't play normally i wouldn't be able to play guitar um but by the time we got to college um my two best friends, one of them was really good at, good at sports. He played baseball and football. Mm-hmm. He was just like, he, he's a really good athlete. And another friend of mine, um, she was learning to play guitar. And I was like, I feel like there's got to be something I'm good at. I have to have like some talent, yeah. but I don't quite know what that is. Um, and so probably the summer either going into my freshman or sophomore year. I think it was going into my freshman year. Uh-huh. Um, my brother, I, this is kind of an assumption because I don't totally remember this part of the story, but I'm assuming it was for my brother's birthday. Uh-huh. We got the game Guitar Hero. Okay. And so I, I learned to, I just figured out that I could play the game upside down. Okay. And so, so I figured maybe there's a possibility that I can play a real guitar upside down. So, so you play upside down. 
You, yes, I you do. Actually, you do both both hands or just the the left hand upside down. Um, I do the strumming normally, but yeah, I do but all the. You all do all the chords upside down, so you had to figure all yeah. that out by yourself. Well, uh, no, I took I started for, so I got a guitar for Christmas. I got my first guitar for Christmas, and this was the absolute crappiest guitar <laughs> you could possibly you could imagine getting. But it was just. Yeah. But it was just to see, like, is it possible to play upside down? So, like, if it wasn't possible to play, like, I'm not going to invest in a really nice guitar. Yeah. Um. So I got like the absolute garbage guitar oh for God. Christmas and started taking lessons in January. What a great story. Yeah. And um, so my first guitar lesson was probably spent the... The majority of it was probably spent trying to figure out how to play a G chord upside down. Mm-hmm. I can imagine. Um, wow. And and really, I I owe a huge thank you to my teacher. Yeah. Um, and I just I want to give him a shout out, Ken Polk at Alpha Omega Music Studio. Amen. Yeah. And uh, wow. Because I think like. I, I I owe him a huge thank you because yep. I'm not sure like other teachers would have agreed to teach me upside down. So, so, so in the song, like we've just heard two of your songs um, yep. and there's, I mean, there's, they're very heavily guitar songs. Are you actually uh-huh. playing on the tracks? Uh, no, Ken, uh, he, so initially I did a lot of my own i i used a guitar to write a lot of songs this okay. was back when i was a teenager yep now i'm much more focused just on melodies um, and writing uh-huh. so on all my stuff that's been released like last year last year and forward uh ken does all, all the um all the music work. all the music for the for the recordings yeah. um that's awesome um yeah. you you say that your mom prayed incessantly when you were little and diagnosed with, with muscular dystrophy, but, but that you still kind of grew up and you didn't really know God growing up. How, Mm -hmm. how does that work? Like, so was it a Catholic family? I would say sort of. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So my parents, uh, they weren't especially, devout it was kind of one of those situations where you're kind of desperate so you ask god for help and then put him back on the shelf when you don't really need yeah, help anymore okay so you weren't like going to mass every sunday it wasn't that kind of no not no. really no so no, then what... and and i was the kind of kid who i was very imaginative yeah like i had a, i had imaginary friends all over the place yeah. But I, but I was, but I also took things very literally. Mm-hmm. So like, I kind of knew some of the Bible stories, like, you know, Jesus would heal people. Yeah. So I, so I just asked like when I was eight or whatever, like, Hey, Jesus, can you heal, like heal me, make me a normal kid. Mm-hmm. And like, I didn't really know how to pray. So like I was getting just what seemed to me to be silence. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and so by the time I was 10, I didn't have a word for it at that point, uh, but I would say I was agnostic by the time I was Right. 10. Now, so then what, what happened in college that sort of brought you back? Um, so by the time I was 18, 
Um, I was looking at looking at colleges. I knew kind of what I wanted to what I wanted to focus on. I thought I wanted to like really focus on music because in my junior year of high school that summer, I did a a, a program at Berkeley. Mm, okay. Yeah. And that was amazing. I had I an imagine, I, yeah. I learned I learned a ton. And it was funny because I wasn't staying there. I wasn't because I have to commute. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't staying there. So I didn't make friends with any of the other students, but I made friends with this homeless guy who called himself Polywog. I never learned like his actual name or anything. But I think it was by kind of through meeting him that I kind of secretly met Jesus in this strange way. Um, Uh And I was, because he was just so simple and nice. Mm -hmm. um, And he just kind of showed me, I think, something just like pure and beautiful that I wasn't seeing. So I auditioned at Berkeley, but I also had visited other colleges around where I live and none of them seemed to fit. But the other school that I looked at that I applied to was Gordon College mm-hmm. in Wenham. That, it was like an evangelical Christian school. And ordinarily, I think that would have made me nervous. But when I visited there, I think classes were going on at the time. So I was seeing other students and I was in like being interviewed by staff. And I saw that people there, everyone there was just so happy and they seemed to have something that I didn't have. And, and so I wanted it. Right. And I guess that was the beginning of your journey back. Yep. So I ended up going to Gordon and I started kind of tentatively talking to God. Yeah. And there was just this one night in October of my freshman year that I was just, this is going to sound kind of overly dramatic, but I would literally describe this as I was just at like the bottom of my everything. Uh And it was just like, I had to let everything go to let him in. Mm-hmm. And it was in that moment where I, of course, this whole time was praying that he would help me find a boyfriend, Yeah. but <laughs> it was just kind of at this moment where, like, I, I finally listened and he, and I, he didn't, he didn't say this exactly, but I kind of interpreted it as like, you don't need a boyfriend. You need me. Will you let me love you? And I was like, yeah i yes yeah so that was i said yes and it changed everything i mean it changed my music it changed my life i can imagine so now now you're mostly writing i mean you write your own songs but you're also writing Mm -hmm. lyrics for other performers um what is your hope for your music or for your lyrics as you reach reach people well so i'm mostly writing my own lyrics at this point i've started doing other projects for other people 
but I haven't quite started doing those types of projects yet. So right now I'm just releasing my own stuff. Mm-hmm. And with my own stuff, really, I just want to reach people and show them like you can find love and peace and joy just w- as long as you have Jesus in your life. Like, really, I just want to glorify him with my music. Mm-hmm. I think so. And and you have a powerful story that I think would would inspire a lot of people to, to find what they're what they're missing. Katie, thank you so much. Um, thank you so much for speaking with us today and for sharing your story with us. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm super excited to, to hear more about your story and, 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 and uh, more of your music. So I hope that you keep writing so that we can get you back on the show and, and learn some more and listen to some more music. Great. Thank you. You can find Katie Curtis on Bandcamp, Spotify, and on her Facebook page. You can also read her blog at katiecurtismusic.wordpress.com. And if you missed any part of this interview, you can head over to slmedia.org slash podcast. All our programs are archived there. Here now is Katie Curtis with her song, Victory. Victory by Katie Curtis, and that will take us to the end of the program. Remember that you can stream or podcast all our Salt and Light Hour programs at eselmedia.org. Just look for podcasts, and you can also find the Salt and Light Hour Catholic Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just look for Deacon Pedro. You can also email me, pedro at eselmedia.org. Remember to stay safe, continue praying for each other, and take care of each other. Happy Thanksgiving. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been the Salt and Light Hour. Please.